Hello, and welcome to the Blockade Runner Podcast number 178. My name is John. Joining me, as always, is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Good afternoon. Good evening. And we are uh, really excited to have Brandon from Talking Bay 94 back on the show. Uh, Welcome, Brandon. Uh, thanks for having me back, guys. It's always I'm always very surprised when people invite me back onto shows. So this is a, a real treat. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, we we had a great time talking the art of the rise of Skywalker probably about a year ago mm-hmm. uh, on the show. So I didn't want to you know overstay my welcome or anything. So I waited a year and then <laughs> invited you back on. <laughs> um, but uh, we have a special occasion to celebrate because. The, uh, the Tartakovsky Clone Wars, I, I guess the Clone Wars micro series, as it's called, uh, just debuted on Disney Plus, uh, along with some other great vintage Star Wars content. So uh, we thought, who better to bring on to talk some some Tartakovsky Clone Wars um, than Brandon? So yeah, welcome back and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have a, a chance, I was saying before we started, to gush about what I think might be <laughs> the best Star Wars ever made. I don't know. We're going to find out <laughs> at the end of this, I guess. Yes, uh, I had a really similar experience where um, I hadn't seen them this this show for so long, and uh, it was definitely a total joy to go back and watch it. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, so, what we're going to do is just kind of uh, talk a little bit about the uh, the genesis of the show, the history of the show, and that kind of thing, and then we'll we'll sort of uh, talk about our favorite moments from from each volume of uh, the Clone Wars micro series here. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to open it up by talking about you know, kind of how the show came to be and, and that kind of thing. Uh, it debuted in November of 2003 um, on Cartoon Network and I guess on StarWars.com. I don't really remember the fact that it was on StarWars.com. I remember like trying to video record it on my VHS, you know, blank tapes on Cartoon Network. Um, but I guess it was on on, on uh, StarWars.com as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was of course a, a super exciting time, you know, um, in between attack of the clones and revenge of the Sith. And so it debuted then in November of 2003, um, the first set of episodes. And then the second, uh, set of episodes, uh, came out, uh, a little later, um, in, uh, well, there was another set in, in 2004, spring of 2004. And then in 2005, right before, um, episode three came out. So, um, yeah, what was your, for, for each of you, what was your memory of watching the Clone Wars micro series back then? Did you guys watch it when it was, you know, live on, on Cartoon Network, that kind of thing? I, I was, I was in college. I was away at college. Um, definitely didn't have cable or anything. Um, I remember watching them on my computer um, whether that was watching them legally on starwars.com or by some other dubious means, uh, I'm not sure, but I definitely watched them. Um, but then I also remember just being like super stoked for the DVDs to come out and then like really like running them a lot once I had the DVDs. Yeah. Uh, you said college and now this is making me sound like a baby, but I, I was, like, I guess 10 when they came out and I remember, I remember like reading about it in the insider and then begging my parents. Cause I had, this is, this is how young I was. Okay. And this is how they thought I could still be athletic. I guess when I was 10 years old, I was at <laughs> gy- gymnastics class. Okay. I was at gymnastics mm-hmm. class when the premiere of clone wars episode one was going to come out and I was freaking out. I was like, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to miss this and I'm going to miss this forever. I'm never going to be able to watch this. So my parents recorded it on VHS first, which is very nice, very nice of them to do. So I get back from class 
and we watch it and it's cool, but it's three minutes long. And I'm like, you guys messed up. Like you guys didn't record the whole thing. <laughs> and I was so excited. I, I just didn't understand like what, what this was, you know? And then part, you know, I keep scamming my parents, I guess. Cause then part of it, like this is the star Wars.com aspect was, I don't know if it kicked in for season one, but it might've been just for season two, but you, you could watch them on starwars.com after the fact, but it was only for hyperspace members, which was a, an added fee. And so I had to scam my parents out of $15 or whatever it was in order to, to get access to this. Um, and then, yeah, I, it's always kind of stuck with me. Um, and, and yeah, and it really holds up. I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it is called the micro series because as you point out, Brandon, like the, uh, initial wave of 20 episodes were about three minutes long. And so I remember that being, um, a tricky part of the equation as well. Cause it's not like, well, it's on from seven to seven thirty, and you tune in then and whatever. It's like we're gonna drop uh, three minutes of this like at six fifty seven, right before this other thing airs. And I just remember, I think I don't remember, you know, the, totally the details of how it all shook out, but um, I, I just I know it was like I had this like anxiety that if I don't have the TV on at the exact right time, you know, I'm not gonna see it. And they would show commercials like throughout the week, like, oh, Friday night at this time, you know, you're gonna you have a three minute window where you can see this this uh segment of the Clone Wars. And I think maybe they did more than one segment per night or something like that. But uh I just remember it was a kind of a high pressure scenario um, <laughs> and, until those DVDs came out, like you said, Ryan, mm-hmm. which uh was super was super cool. So the uh, the second wave of, of episodes, um, the the volume two episodes are, are around twelve minutes apiece, which is uh, a to- a total change of pace and 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 uh, like practically mini movies, you know, in comparison to those those three minute episodes. So um, that's cool. But I I did find um, watching each of these volumes that uh, I don't know I I, I I'm not going to say I prefer the three minute episodes, but uh, there there was something pretty fun about just the snappy like little segments you know and it kind of bounced all over the place instead of having these lengthier stories uh, like in volume two yeah it was very interesting watching it sorry interesting watching on disney plus because i guess i forgot for the first 10 minutes i was like why is it weird cuts like this it was like oh because they're not gonna like do each episode you know and so i almost prefer if they had gone and edited the stories that you know, because everything is going from plot to plot and almost like it'd be cool to see the nine minutes of the Osage Ventress or whatever it is, you know, and kind of someone, I guess, should fan edit that. Someone, <laughs> call. please, someone do that. Yeah. And that may exist. Who knows? Um, right. I know that uh, that uh, there was some like HD, you know, cleaned up, up whatever versions on YouTube um, that I'd heard people talk about, but I'd never actually sought out myself. So, um, I don't think I've seen these and I know we kind of mentioned it already, but I don't think I've seen these since probably around the time I bought the DVDs, you know, um, I, I don't remember popping the DVDs, which is weird, but I don't remember popping them in ever really in the last like 10, 15 years and watching through them again. I think I was like, oh yeah, I know those, you know, and those are fun, but I never really went back and put them in. Um, either of you guys, like, have you watched them much since then or, uh, or, w- or was it kind of brand new for you again? Uh, like it was for me. I watched them maybe about a year ago because during this quarantine, all <laughs> I've been doing is, as anyone can tell, is just like buying things to feel something. <laughs> and so part of my, um, project and it, we're, we're, we're on, um, video while we're recording, but it won't be video 
while you're listening, but part of my project has been grabbing all of those DVDs that, again, when I was 10 years old and they were coming out, I was not allowed to buy. And so I got, you know, uh, the two Clone Wars volumes and then Droids and Ewoks, Caravan of Courage, and then Beneath the Dome, you know? And so that took me, sure. you know, six months mm-hmm. to find for not like $50 each. And so when I would get them, I would rewatch them. And I was very impressed with uh, the behind the scenes features on these Clone Wars DVDs. I was like, these are these are pretty nice. Like, you know, for I guess I was not expecting anything for, for a three minute cartoon. But I was like, hey, this is, you know, something. So, um, yeah, I watched them about a year ago. But it's interesting watching them on DVD and then rewatching them on Disney Plus because Disney Plus, they look beautiful. And then, of course, oh, yeah, you're watching mm-hmm. a DVD and those do not look as beautiful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Ryan, had you seen them recently or no? No, like, I mean, around the time of the prequels, um, you know, Revenge of the Sith period, like I was I was watching these DVDs, um, you know, quite a bit, like, um, you know, watch the episodes leading into Revenge of the Sith. And then like after the movie, I was still just like I was in that in that prequel zone for like, you know, probably till. 2000 you know 2006 2007 um and yeah and then you know shortly after that i uh moved to japan and i basically all my dvds like either went into storage somewhere or they or i sold them or gave them away and i honestly don't even know where my dvds have been and um you know, so I hadn't actually watched these since probably 2006, 2007, um, until I watched them on Disney Plus, uh, which I watched all of them over the course of today. So, oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, now, Ryan, I'm going to say you're still in that prequel zone because you talk about Attack of the Clones a lot, you know, so I think you are still in that zone, but uh, <laughs> it's a good place to be. I, I don't I feel live. like I've ever. It's where I live. Place. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever left that zone either. Um, hey, Brandon, uh, not to put you on the spot, but did those DVDs uh-huh. have commentaries as well? Because I was, I thought that I saw something about that, but I, I did not like find my DVDs in the vault. You know, most of my DVDs are, I don't know where. So, I didn't track it down to see. Oh, so actually, and now I feel like I should have done this. <laughs> there are uh, commentaries. Uh, Clone Wars Volume 1 says two director commentaries. And then Clone Wars Volume 2 says audio commentary by Tartakovsky and his band of artists. So oh, wow. <laughs> I think after we're done recording, I'm going to... <laughs> Uh, watch these with those commentaries because yeah, director commentaries are getting more rare as the years go on. And I was going to say, I mean, yeah, this is the era of the DVD commentary zone when these things yeah. came out, you know, when they were released. And I, I do miss that. Uh, I do miss that time for sure. So uh, yeah, I probably should have watched those, uh, looked up the DVDs, but it was like, <laughs> Hey, they're on Disney plus. That's the whole thing. That's why we're right. doing this right They're on Disney plus. Maybe someday they'll add them there. I don't know. That'd be great. That's why you got to keep, you got to, that's why I tell my fiance, like, this is why I keep all of this plastic garbage because (laughs) you can't trust anything, especially Disney plus is like, Oh, look at us. Like we have empire of dreams, but we did take out within a minute. Like we did remove puppets to pixels. Like, so go screw yourself. Um, and it's fine. That's why I own them. It's so weird. It is so uh, strange to me how Disney plus will be like, um, well, if you're in the mood for, you know, specific bonus features this week, we've got you covered, but next week 
you know, forget about it. Like <laughs> you might, why you might be completely, yeah. cycle stuff in and out. I don't understand, but they do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing service, but that's uh, an odd quirk for sure. So I'll um, email JPEG and I'll, I'll tell him what's going on. He'll fix it. There you go. There you go. Um, all right, cool. So uh, that's a little uh, a little history of uh, the Clone Wars micro series and and you know some of our experience with it. But uh, I think let's let's jump in and start um, start breaking it down. Um, maybe before we we talk about favorite moments from each volume, uh, we could just talk about initial reactions to rewatching it again. I mean, I think we've all kind of put it out there and <laughs> made it uh, <laughs> sort of clear. But, uh, you know, I remember loving this, but then like watching it over this weekend, I was like, this is the Star Wars. Like, I want more of this. And I, you know, I didn't really understand how incredible it was. Um, so it's been so, so much fun to go back and watch them. It seems like both of you guys feel the same way as well yeah i mean i this is one of those this was kind of one of those like put up or shut up moments for me i feel like because i like over the last like 10 years i'm always like all this other stuff is cool but what i miss is gendy's clone wars and like i'm (laughs) always like bringing that up like yeah you know the season seven of Clone Wars was good, but like it's no Gendy's Clone Wars. And then I like, you know, had the opportunity to rewatch it and it was like out there again. And I'm like, oh man, what if this like doesn't hold up? And like, and I've been like pushing this on people because I've also like not watched it in like 15 years. And like, what if it actually sucks or it's like super problematic or something? And I've been telling people like, oh, no, this is the good stuff. Um, But yeah, then just like going back and rewatching it, like um, I was just like furiously putting like notes into my phone and like the whole time I'm just like, oh, God, this rules. And, you know, like I, I sent you a text like half an hour ago as I was like finishing, um, you know, the finishing season two and was just like oh, this is going to be so, I'm so stoked to record right now. Like, I'm so stoked to talk about this stuff because really, like, you know, we always talk on this show and just in general, like, Star Wars is for everyone and it's super varied, but there's, like, some things that are, like, not so much for you and then some things that are, like, super for you. And, like, this is one of those things that I think is, like, super for me because, like, I grew up, you know, watching watching anime watch stuff like ghost in the shell ninja scroll uh akira like and then like you know gundam wing and dragon ball z like those were like the formative like cartoons and stuff for me um in when i was younger and then you know um this being kind of like anime inspired and like there's that like um john i sent you a link to this earlier the like bridging bridging the saga like mini doc i don't know if it's something on the dvds or not but okay but like you get what's wonderful about that is you get um george lucas saying i'm interested in anime and he's like (laughs) he's like george lucas actually saying the word anime is just like a highlight of my week um basically and so like oh yeah like this is definitely influenced by that and it's like in like the dynamics of like the visuals and stuff. And like, I was reading a little bit about it and like Gendy talks about, um, you know, his show Samurai Jack was influenced by 
like Lone Wolf and Cub and Kurosawa films and, you know, all that like side of Star Wars that like those influences that I just really, really love in Star Wars. So like, yeah, this is just like 100% my jam and I'm glad it still is. Yeah, that's something I uh, I meant to ask you guys about because I remember when the show was debuting, it was like, oh, it's by the guy who did Samurai Jack. What is Samurai Jack? You know, that was like my 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 like knowledge base there. Um, and I still don't think I've really seen any Samurai Jack or anything else that uh, that Gendy Tartakovsky has has done. So, um, and in I love the uh, the art style and the art direction, but only like after watching the show. You know what I mean? Because I, I think initially seeing it, it's like. I just didn't know what to think of it. And I'm trying to remember how I felt way back then. Cause you know, whatever, but uh, I love it now. But I, I think at the time I was a little like, huh, it's a unique, you know, it's a different looking cartoon. And do I like this samurai Jack thing? I don't really, I've never seen it. Um, but, uh, and I still don't know if I like samurai Jack or not, but I fucking <laughs> love the, uh, the Gandhi clone Wars, So I can say that. Funny. That's funny. Cause I mean, again, you're talking to a 10 year old during this. And so I grew up with, cause Gandhi did, I think, his first major show was Dexter's Laboratory, I want to say. And then he did like Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy and Powerpuff Girls, maybe. And uh, and then Samurai Jack and Samurai and Dexter's Laboratory and Samurai Jack, especially just like blew my mind, especially Samurai Jack. And so it was just like right up in my wheelhouse. Right. I was like a Toonami kid, mm. like all that kind of stuff. You're talking about <laughs> anime. And, and that I mean, that was kind mm-hmm. of like my first introductions were these kind of soft animes, right? Samurai Jack or Avatar or, or things like this where they were more stylistically inspired rather than being straight imports from Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they were like, yes, we're making a cartoon in this style, uh, but it's Star Wars, I was like, interesting. Um, this is made <laughs> just, for, just for me. This is great. So, um, and yeah, I bought all the toys. Like, because this, I mean, we'll talk about merch, but it was just this whole thing was before merch, right? Which is very Star Wars in itself, right? Hasbro was like, hey, FYI, we need. We need something, mm-hmm. Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. Please, please help us at least flush out the Clone Wars or something so that we can make toys. Kind of a Shadows of the Empire situation. Um, and it worked. And it was very cool mm-hmm. because you got the animated versions of the toys, which are very cool. And I'm now at the point where I'm like, what if I just like bought all of those um, again? Because I don't know where they are. And they were very fragile. But they also made the realistic versions, which are very, very cool, right? Like a realistic dirge or a realistic Osage Ventress or a realistic, you know. And you're like, oh, this is this is the good stuff. Like this is this is some high quality uh, toy commercial stuff. So very cool. You know, initially when we first started, we we talked a lot about style and how's this going to translate into animation. But I'm definitely a you know very uh, true fan of 2D traditional animation. You know, from Disney through Warner Brothers, through the Fleshers, through everything. You know, all the history that's established animation as an art form. <laughs> And so it was kind of important to us to create a style where it spoke true of Star Wars and uh, related to it, but it also had its own visual point of view. The thing that attracted me to it, it has a slight anime feel to it, and I'm very interested in anime, and I was really interested in moving into a kind of animation that was very different from anything we'd done in the past. And um, Gindi is very good at bridging that transition between traditional animation and anime. 
let's let's just jump in. Let's talk volume one. Um, I have like a bunch of bullet points. We don't have to talk about all of them, but I just like <laughs> really was bullet pointing uh, all my thoughts as I was watching uh, both volumes. I know Ryan uh, did the same thing, but he likes to be kind of uh, elusive and and kind of keep his cards, his sabak cards, close to the chest. So he hasn't actually shared those with me, um, which is cool. But uh, so we have we have notes. We're gonna just kind of run through it. Uh, Brandon, anything like at any time you want to interrupt or interject, uh, please. You know, and go for it. But uh, yeah, you know, like the the first thing to me as I'm watching like Volume One again is thinking about. Uh, you know, how does this connect to the prequel trilogy and like, where does it match up with attack of the clones and, you know, revenge of the Sith and uh, volume one opens up like right away, pretty much with Palpatine very much like manipulating the uh, Jedi council and totally like trying to, you know, um, dictate what Anakin's going to do and where he's going to go. And it feels very much like, you know, Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones too, I guess. But it just, it, it really, I was like, wow, this is so uh, similar to kind of the way things are being orchestrated in Revenge of the Sith. And then I went back and looked to see like, when did this come out? And I was like, whoa, like 18 months or more before Revenge of the Sith kind of hit the theater. And it's like so cool that this show was already, I don't know, kind of like bridging that gap or, you know, forming that connective tissue between like the movie I just saw and loved and famously said, the only question is, well, it's not famous to anybody except for like me and my friends, but I famously said, um, the uh, walking out of attack of the clones. The only question is, is this better than the empire strikes back? Um, which is not exactly how I feel now, but I've, that's how I felt at the time. So it's like, I just saw this movie. I love this movie so much. There's a movie like coming out in a couple of years that I'm daydreaming about nonstop and obsessing over. And like this show, this cartoon, this three minute, you know, episode cartoon is like forming this connective tissue. And obviously at the time I couldn't have known just how like, uh, I guess kind of, uh, impactful or important or connective this content was, but, um, kind of looking back on it now, it's like, Whoa, this is super impressive. Um, that it, that it kind of, uh, came together this well. Um, other thoughts that struck me early on are uh, Anakin, um, the way Anakin was presented early in the show, and uh, specifically his voice, which, um, you know, I'm, I definitely don't have the like behind the scenes, you know, kind of knowledge that you do, Brandon. Um, but uh, I, I looked up who is the voice actor here, you know, uh, right. Matt Lucas. And I'm like, wait, is this like Matt who? Matt Lucas. Like, and of course, there's there's no relationship there. There's no connection. But um I really, really love uh, his interpretation of Anakin and his delivery of Anakin. Um, how did you guys, you know, kind of, what do you think about this this version of Anakin uh, in, in this micro series? For me, it's really interesting because it is that difference between Matt Lucas and Matt Lanter, right? Uh, and bridging that gap and like, I don't know if I ever registered that it was a different voice actor for... Um, the 3D animated show because of course you have like James Arnold Taylor and Tom Kane making the jump and maybe a couple others um, but but yeah Matt Lucas kind of just does this and then you never hear him again um, but he was interesting it was a, it's interesting because at the beginning I love the progression of Anakin's character through these um, two seasons quote unquote because it is like the, the maturation of Anakin. And so he starts off maybe a little whiny, right? Kind of reminds you of Luke Skywalker episode four, and then really kind of grows into the character as 
as the episodes progress and is not doing like a straight up Hayden Christensen impression, which I always enjoy. Um, so yeah, big, big Matt Lucas guy. I've tried to get him on the show before. <laughs> I, I won't, <laughs> I won't pretend I haven't. Uh, so maybe one day <laughs> to talk about his, you know, 15 lines or whatever he did. So <laughs> this is the difference between your knowledge of, of star Wars, uh, history and behind the scenes, <laughs> um, talent and mine. I looked him up this weekend and was like, Matt Lucas, that's a name. I don't know if I've ever heard before. And <laughs> you've tried to like get him on your show. Um, <laughs> that's one of the great things about talking Bay 94 is like you have talked to so many people and you, um, kind of, you know, um, end up talking to, to, to people from so many different areas of star Wars. So, uh, we'll talk more about it at the end. I'll gush about how much I love the show at the end of, of the episode <laughs> here, but, uh, but yeah, Ryan, what about you? And, uh, in, in this Anakin, what'd you think about, uh, about this, this interpretation? Yeah, I mean, I think just like building off what Brandon said, or I mean, I guess more so just agreeing with it. um, I think like, the way that it, um, you know, he just he does just kind of mature throughout um, Mm. the series. And um, I kind of noticed the same things how he you know, kind of kind of starts whiny and then he gets like a little um, adversarial at times, which kind of just, you know, with his relationship with Obi-Wan and the, um, you know, Jedi Council, um, I think, you know, we're kind of I think what kind of comes to mind is the uh, I, I think maybe the best, most stinging line of dialogue in the entire show is when he says to Obi-Wan, you're no Qui-Gon Jinn. (laughs) Uh, Ouch. Um, And I think like he brings all of those kind of facets of Anakin's character in the prequels. Um, And uh, I think it's like, I think it's really well done um, across the board. And I, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, I love it too. And I feel like, and this might just be my, you know, kind of weird observation or whatever, but I feel like the, the, the Matt Lucas is the best example of this phenomenon, but I feel like watching the show, the voice acting is a little more stylized. It feels a little more cartoony. Um, and it really fits the visual style because with something like the 3d Clone Wars, um, you know, that does have more in common visually with obviously like the films and it, it's not super realistic looking. I mean, it kind of has this wooden puppet sort of vibe to a certain extent, but then it's also like high budget and has great, you know, visual effects. And, um, it's definitely more in the, in the territory of looking, you know, like the films than this cartoon is. Uh, and I feel like the voice acting is more, I don't know, consistent with like films and, uh, it has more of that kind of style. Whereas like this, you know, I was watching that behind the scenes segment that you, you sent out earlier today, Ryan, and, you know, I feel like there's like Hanna-Barbera influence and, you know, kind of uh, mm-hmm. classic like 60s and 70s cartoon influence and I guess anime influence too. I'm not very familiar with uh, that world, but I just feel like the voice acting kind of um, is a little more heightened, a little more stylized and a little more cartoony, you know, in, in a good way. Um, and uh, and I think it, it all comes together really well. And, and it, it just, you know, visually, obviously the show is very stylized and it has a really unique stylistic um, kind of presentation of Star Wars. And I think the, the voice acting uh, is right in line with that. And I love this version. I know I've been saying this, but I love this version of Anakin. I just feel like he's mm-hmm. he's uh, he is really flawed in all the ways that the Anakin of Attack of the Clones is flawed. Um, and I think in the 
Uh, Filoni Clone Wars, he's definitely flawed as well, but there's, I feel like, a, an intentional desire to present him as really very heroic so that we can see like these years of Anakin being this hero. Um, and I think in this micro series, it's more like, now we're we're heading up to the movie where he's going to turn into Darth Vader. And so we don't want to shy away from the fact that this guy's kind of, uh, he's got some issues, you know, and he's pretty immature mm-hmm. and uh, he's going to go to the dark side really quickly and, you know, all those things. So, uh, yeah, I just, I, I feel like it's a very different Anakin than the one from the other Clone Wars show. Uh, they're both great, but uh, I really appreciate the way that uh, the show presents uh, Anakin for sure. Um, all right. So, uh, Brandon, you mentioned that, uh, James Arnold Taylor and Tom Kane also, um, do Obi-Wan and, and Yoda, uh, in this show. So I think that's, that's really fun to kind of see them, um, you know, uh, featured yeah. here as well. And then I think also I could be wrong. I think also Count Dooku is the same Corey Burton who also is Cad Bane. I think he carries mm-hmm. over again. I could be completely wrong. And if I'm wrong, no, you're right about this that. Out, and we never, <laughs> you're right about that. Corey Burton. <laughs> who is, is uh, crazy in his own right. And he's a big Transformers guy. He was Shockwave in the original Transformers. Um, and then uh, I think Mace Windu is the same. Um, T.C. Carson, uh, mm-hmm. who also is in the God of War video game franchise uh, as Kratos or whatever. So that's your, uh, those are the carryovers. Those are the people that made the cut. That Filoni was like, that's fine. I'll take you. Um, <laughs> and I guess everyone else didn't uh great Elizal stands out to me as the person that doesn't make the cut who plays Padme in in this series and she's a like a very 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 famous voice actress I know her best as like Azula in um Avatar the last airbender but she I mean every single show you've ever watched she has been in so um so it's interesting she didn't make the cut and instead um Catherine Tabor took over that for the 3d but it's it's cool seeing kind of this kind of cast carry with gendy because these are all from his shows right from powerpuff girls or from dexter's laboratory and he's bringing them to the star wars world and seeing if they adapt or not which is cool oh that's awesome yeah i did not know that um as i was looking through the voice list i was you know kind of seeing um lots of other obviously lots of other credits and animation lots of video game uh voice credits like you said and uh, these are all actors who are uh, very prominent in voice acting, but, um, but yeah, it is interesting to kind of consider who made the jump to, uh, the other Clone Wars and, and who didn't, uh, I would think a lot of it has to do with, uh, like we were talking about earlier, the, the kind of heightened and, and more like cartoony stylized, uh, hmm. you know, voices. I honestly thought James Arnold Taylor sounded more like Ewan McGregor in this show than he did in Clone Wars when I was watching mm-hmm. him today. So, um, didn't surprise me that they pulled him over, but, um, uh, yeah. And obviously the clones, you know, um, hearing the clones, um, having <laughs> not deep, uh, Bradley Baker voice is, is a little off putting at first, but, uh, right. but I think they were good too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, some notable appearances in volume one, um, Kit Fisto, I-, I loved his whole segment, um, you know, shirtless and just really putting it out there. <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, I, I called him himbo, uh, Kit Fisto in the notes because, you know, he really impressed me right away with the, uh, musculature <laughs> and the pearly whites too. I mean, he's a gorgeous, a, a gorgeous cartoon Jedi, I feel like. So, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> wanted to note that for sure. 
Um, I mean, here, here's Dirge. the thing. We have, yeah. we have two years. Oh, no, we have a year, I guess, until Celebration 2022. And so maybe we all get into fight and shape so we can all be smiling, <laughs> shirtless, get fistos together. I, it's a <laughs> suggestion. Again, like I'm not like, you know, this could be something we all strive towards. I think it's a good goal. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, there's an ocean right there. So, right. you know, it's yep. kind of pr- probably need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, very excited. Obviously, what are we... Um, I think right now, as we record this, it's like what date the anniversary of day three or day four of uh, Star Wars mm-hmm. Celebration Chicago, mm-hmm. I think. So timelines are filling up with all kinds of weepy, you know, memories of, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. of that celebration in Chicago, oh. which was so much fun. So um, and mm-hmm. yet we're both planning on being there next year and uh, and can't wait for sure. Yeah. Can't wait to be shirtless with, with me. It's going to be great. <laughs> Can't wait, guys. Um, yeah, so also uh, Dirge um, is... Help me out with this. I think this is the... Uh, was Dirge created for this Clone Wars series? Um, he yeah, he's kind, of, he's kind of like the Prince Zizor, uh dash Rendar of this show where they created him for this kind of Clone Wars in between. Same with Asajj Ventress, but she at least has a little bit of lineage because she was being thrown around as a potential villain for Attack of the Clones. Um, Mm -hmm. There's some concept art that's very reminiscent of Asajj Ventress, Um, but Dirge Mm -hmm. is pretty much, I believe, again, if I'm wrong, take this out. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I believe he's a creation just for the show, kind of to sell merch a little bit, but he appears in the realistic comics that they were making called Mm -hmm. Republic. He appears in all the action figures, obviously, um, and then it has appeared a couple times over the years, and apparently in this new Marvel War of the Bounty Hunters, Dirge is coming back. So Dirge is about to be canon in like a month. So exciting time to be a Dirge fan, I guess, if that's what you're into. Man, Dirge. Uh, so <laughs> what's, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about Dirge here. Um, so yeah, he actually like... Um, I was I was double checking this and I believe um, again, John, just fix it if it's fix it if I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, He appeared like right before the show started in an issue of the Republic comic. Um, But it was like it was pretty much simultaneous that Dirge was appearing in the the comic and the micro series. which is just some like great cross media synergy, synergy. Uh, happening yeah. right there. Yeah, it's the good stuff. Um, and what I love about like Dirge in the cartoon is um, I think he's super cool looking. He looks like a weird like space knight something. I don't even know what his look is, but it's like pretty awesome. Um, in the comics, he's very he he has a very nineties comics feel mm. to him. Like he definitely feels like, like a, like a spawn villain or mm-hmm. something, um, which I don't hate. Like, <laughs> I, I think it's pretty great. Um, but like, even down to like the healing po- powers, which are like, you know, basically like Wolverine. Um, he's like star Wars Wolverine. Like he is just like the most comic booky character um in star wars and like i love um you know i love him here i love the extended joust sequence that he appears in it's so weird and so good and like then like him just you know becoming like a resident evil villain like at the end where he's just all like bloated and mutated and stuff and 
Uh, it's like it's just fantastic what they do with this character. And he probably appears on screen maybe five minutes total <laughs> across like a few episodes. And he just has like he does so much stuff and has such an impact. And then like, obviously, like there'd be like way more dirge stories in the comics and stuff. And that's where he'd kind of like his legacy would sort of continue. But what a cool creation. I love that you brought up Spawn because it's very 90s, right, of, of his kind of build and his musculature. And then even, like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, like kind of Akira-ish in terms of mm-hmm. kind of the body dysmorphia kind of thing happening, which I thought was really cool. And I actually, while we were talking, I found um, on archive.org the article on StarWars.com that it's called Introducing Dirge. From March 11th, 2003. So the first time they ever said the word dirge. Okay. And it's literally an ad for the toy. It's so good. <laughs> like it's so perfectly Star Wars. Because it was like, hey, like uh, Star Wars fans will, are about to be introduced to a whole new cast of characters. Here is one of the key villains in the story, which Hasbro will produce as part of their Clone Wars toy line. Dirge is a powerful bounty hunter, completely covered in battered battle armor. So good. Like, And then it says, look for dirge to soon appear in Star Wars Republic as well as Star Wars Clone Wars. So, you know, that's it. He's a toy man, and he's a badass toy. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. very cool. He, he is a badass toy, and that's that that's that synergy, you know, that you're that mm-hmm. you're talking about, uh, Ryan. But uh, yeah, so cool. And 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 uh, you mean obviously, like the lead time on animation is much longer than it is on comics. So you know, I have to think he was uh, was created for this micro series, and then you know they said, look what we've got here with this badass dirge. Like we've got to you know spread the wealth and and mm-hmm. uh, and move him around and and bring him into different areas. So. Uh, yeah, that was super cool. Um, you know, around this time, as I was watching the show, kind of going through chronologically here in the notes that I took, um, one thing that we haven't touched on, but really struck me. And I don't know if it's just, you know, my opinion or whatever, but I really felt like this visual style, this storytelling, this cartoon did a great job of kind of blending original trilogy uh, visuals and characters and prequel trilogy visuals and characters in a way that just felt so kind of seamless and so quintessentially Star Wars. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what it was that made me kind of come to that conclusion as I was watching volume one, but it was right around this area. And I think it was just seeing, you know, certain aliens and species from the original trilogy um, in in volume one here, but just feeling like it just fit in exactly right with uh, with what was going on with this, you know, largely prequel era storytelling. So mm-hmm. um, that's something I, I for sure appreciated uh, about the show here. And um, yeah, it just all feels seamless, you know, and I think in the sequel era, they do a really good job of that. Um, and in, in the prequel era too. Uh, but, you know, there's always, there's always moments where I feel like things are a little like, okay, that, you know, you're bringing something in from a different era, you know, you're, you're working it in here. Uh, but I never got that impression watching, uh, this micro series, I just felt like everything fit together so well. Yeah, I think that's probably, you know, a testament to just like a super bold and unified like animation style. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think just the the visuals just made everything kind of work, you know, like, um, you know, uh, we were talking la- last week or the week before on the show about like how sometimes you get like 
those those black series figures that like are from something in the animation and you're like that looks kind of weird like like jackson or something and you're you're like i i get it like i like it but it's it kind of just doesn't fit with like you know the you know the the ray from you know last jedi black series figure i have sitting here like these one one of these things is not like the other even though they're both six inches tall like (laughs) um and yeah but i think there is just such like a like a pure unified animation style here and visual style that like everything just like naturally fits yeah it's kind it reminds me of the celebration mural from chicago where you see like rebels and clone wars, you see Pierce Brosnan and you're like, this, this is, this is cool. Because again, like you're talking to a guy who pre-ordered the Jackson figure because I'm an idiot. And then also have (laughs) things like the Obi-Wan and clone armor black series that they made. Right. Which is from this cartoon really. Right. And it's like cool things like that. But then you're also like, there's part of it that's so intrinsic to the visual style that you almost rob it a little bit by trying to place it into the kind of three-dimensional world of, of star Wars. Um, because yeah, even I was even watching yesterday, just like, Oh, the explosions are just like, so cool. Like every little mm-hmm. aspect of this show, is just like so badass. And if you did the same exact thing with even just the characters and the actors that we love, I don't know if it would have the same charm. You know, if you put the same story with Hayden Christensen, and Ewan McGregor in live action for an hour, like, mm-hmm. it'd be cool. But I don't know if I'd be like gushing about it like I am right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think like this micro series format is so uh perfect for like a lot of these battle sequences and fight sequences because it's just quick and short and to the point and you know, it is kind of the point in, of a lot of these episodes of the micro series and so it never overstays its welcome and it just it just feels yeah like the perfect uh, kind of medium for for this sort of thing uh you mentioned the explosions and and how good they look uh another thing that i you know really kind of uh uh noticed as i was watching the show is how smooth the uh and, and how smooth but also how kind of kinetic and exciting the space battles were and the movement mm. of of the ships uh, i thought that was really cool and actually uh, ryan i was watching that that documentary that you sent over and they did talk about how that was like the one element of the show that they kind of did through, um, you know, facilitated through computer technology versus more of a hand-drawn uh, kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I, I I didn't know anything about how they did it until I, I watched that documentary you sent. But I remember, you know, watching it and just thinking like, this looks really cool. It looks really smooth. And, and watching the behind the scenes and how they did it, it kind of reminded me of like flash animation and that kind of mm. thing, except for mm. it's like, I never got that impression watching the show. I just was like, this is super, like it looks fast and it looks like smooth. Uh, so I think they did an incredible job with, with that element. And that's not easy. I don't think that's an easy thing to, to nail obviously, right. To make a star Wars space battle feel like a star Wars space battle or feel, you know, make a ship move the way that it should. So, uh, I think that's a, another, you know, super impressive accomplishment of the show. One of the most important elements of star Wars is all the flybys and how the ships go. And to do that hand-drawn would be very difficult. So that's kind of the only way the computer was involved is by doing the animation on the ships. It's in that documentary. It's like a little bit of new 3D animation sort of thing, at least how they were mapping things out. And when I was rewatching this, I was I literally, during the Asajj-Anakin dogfight, I was like mm-hmm. out loud being like, 
oh crap, <laughs> like this is cool. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I feel like we're kind of jaded now. Like, obviously, we've had the Rogue One space battle, which is incredible. And mm-hmm. I was just like sitting on my couch Sunday at noon, just like freaking out about a show that's, you know, how old is this? 20 years almost. So crazy, 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 crazy how cool it is. Yeah, it's like it's incredible that those um, space battles look as good as they do and that they hold up now because like you could take any other like animation from like whenever they were making this like 2001, 2002, like computer animation, um, you know, mixed blended in with, um, you know, hand drawn animation like this has got to be like. So, so much of that stuff has not like aged well like i'm thinking of like i don't know like transformers beast wars or something <laughs> right now and like um just like some of that like really kind of raunchy um you know experimental cg um you know even like like previs stuff from um the the prequel tr- trilogy from like b- the behind the scenes stuff where you're like, Whoa, that, uh, hmm. that, that looks rough. Um, and that's kind of like the vibe of a lot of, you know, hmm. especially for like kids animation and stuff that like the show probably did not have, um, a super high budget, like looking at like the, you know, behind the scenes footage. Uh, these, these dudes definitely did not have like the best uh, working conditions. <laughs> um, but it looks like they're like working out of a dorm room or something. And uh, yeah. And like just the technology, they definitely probably didn't have the best stuff, but like that, they, they just like made it work. And it like the fact that like, it just holds up so well now is just incredible. Yeah, and like I said, I'm a Gendy, Tartakovsky, Neil fight. Like, I don't know much about him. I haven't really watched any of his other work, but just watching that behind-the-scenes doc, I really got the impression that he has a huge amount of respect for uh, classic animation. And so I think, you know, it feels to me like the guy steering the ship has really good taste. And even though those, you know, kind of early 2000s, mid-2000s, like, exciting, like, hey, we're using computers to animate, you know, like, that was a Mm -hmm. thing that was pretty fresh at that point. Um, but you know, he was, uh, uh, very measured in, in how it seems to me anyways, he was very measured in how he incorporated those things. And so the show really does have, I keep going back to Hanna-Barbera just cause I don't know that much about animation, but I kind of get that like Hanna-Barbera, like 60s, 70s animation look from it, which I think is really great. Um, and, and that's what they stayed true to even with, you know, new kind of tools at their disposal, except for like we talked about, like with the spaceships and certain, you know, maybe effects or whatever, but overall, uh, I think the show feels kind of timeless in terms of its look mm-hmm. and just animation. Yeah, it really is just, again, <laughs> so cool. And I was like, screen, while I was watching, I was like screenshotting different things. And like, I was just blown away by just like how gorgeous it still looks. And then, of course, me, I was like, how much would an animation sell from the <laughs> Clone Wars show be? Uh, apparently very expensive, but I will get one. It will happen. Um because, I mean, it's fine. Some people are charging like $4,000 for like a pencil sketch. I'm like, no, no, no. I can get this for $300 and feel good about it. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm biding my time. I'm getting there. Uh, because, as a side note, uh, for people that are looking to like have a unique Star Wars collection, like for the price of like 10 Funko Pops, you can get like an original animation cell from Ewoks or Droids, really, that is unique mm-hmm. and beautiful and like a piece of art and a piece of Star Wars history. 
And it's like, that's the coolest kind of stuff, in my opinion, to collect. So that is just my unsolicited Star Wars collecting tip of the day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And uh, man, I remember so many celebrations kind of walking past like all of this Ralph McQuarrie art and like autographed prints from Ralph McQuarrie and things like that. And being like, you know, I'm going to grab one of those at the next one, you know, and, and now mm. that uh, yeah. I feel like that uh, that availability is starting to dwindle you know, on some of that stuff. And so, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Grab it while you can for sure. Yeah. Uh, a couple other quick things from volume one, um, man, uh, my note verbatim Yoda in a hood is very good. Uh, I love, <laughs> I love Yoda, um, kind of doing his Jedi hero stuff with, a, you know, Star Wars is so much about like the, the combination of mythology and fantasy and science fiction. And, you know, Yoda is a character, obviously that exemplifies that kind of, uh, juxtaposition so Mm -hmm. seeing him with like almost like a little red riding hood hood on or something Mm -hmm. you know in uh in the in some of these episodes was was really cool i love that uh i also love the wolfman jedi um you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm a a huge fan of the hosk triplets uh and of course the uh the wolfman Mm -hmm. uh rick baker right uh brandon rick baker Mm -hmm. wolfman yeah Yeah, huge fan of that um, as well. So I think that was a pretty cool little shout out and an inclusion uh, in the show here. Um, um, re- related to the uh, Yoda in a hood um, mm. and just the the goodness of that, um, the dramatic robe throwing in this show <laughs> out of control. There is so much like beautiful uh, is it disrobing. Is that the is that the the verb for when you? I, yeah, I'll be very that's... cautious with that, but yes. No, that that I think that is the verb for what we're going to do at celebration next year when we uh, reveal our <laughs> our Kit Fisto physiques. The pods, right? yeah, the, yeah. The, the Fisto triplets. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that feels like something to not Google. Please don't Google. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's an OnlyFans for it. Um, but yeah, whether it be like cloaks or proper robes or just capes, like there are just so many um, articles of clothing just dramatically being uh, thrown off in this. And like, and that's again where it just, it's like that total like anime Japanese RPG kind of vibe um, that the show gives me where it's like, this is like, you you didn't need to shoot this. You didn't need to animate this. Like it does it does nothing. It doesn't move the story forward or anything. Uh, you know, it, there, it it doesn't represent anything thematically, but it just looks cool and it just gets me pumped. So in that way, like it's it's a success. And there's a lot of that in the show, and I love it. All right, two things left. I I feel like we really need to cover from volume one. Number one. Um, you know, maybe Ilum is old news. Maybe this like whole Ilum thing is like has been popping up all over Star Wars for 15 years now. But, you know, I don't think I was really aware of the whole Ilum thing until um, I guess it shows up in in the Filoni, um, you know, Star Wars, but uh, or Clone Wars. But for me, it was like, oh, OK, Starkiller base might be Ilum. What's Ilum? And then I played the Jedi Fallen Order game and I was like, hey, is it Ilum? You know, and I know a little bit about it. Um, but I was like blown away watching this this weekend and being like, Ilum was a thing like way back then, like they're on Ilum going to this Jedi temple and it looks like almost mm-hmm. exactly like it does in the, uh, in the Jedi fallen order game. I, I just, I love this stuff. I love the, the way that this show is, uh, really kind of 
as far as I, I don't know, maybe it's not the premiere of Ilum, but to me, it seems like it's really planting the seeds for a lot of stuff that has been, you know, important in Star Wars uh, long after this uh, this series aired. Um, it's so cool. Nothing goes unused. Like even if you know, <laughs> even though this like faded into legends or whatever, like it's still like you know people are going back to it. And, you know, you mentioned like dirge coming back, like, yeah, like we're definitely going to see things uh, from this again. And that's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah it Ilum, doesn't go. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no, you go ahead. No, I was going to say something stupid about Ilum. So <laughs> I like stupid uh, stuff about Ilum. Please do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By all means. Because, okay. Cause this is good. I really, I, I guess I, I, I feel so young. Normally I feel very old but I feel very young, which was, I grew up. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you very much. You were like, I was in college. I was like, I was in gymnastics class. So I'm feeling great. I was a gymnastics class in college. <laughs> I, I was at Taco Bell, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, but part of me growing up during this time period, again, like you were saying, like, you're always in the prequel mindset and that's me too, because it was, I, I think we, we are really lucky, even when you're looking at the sequel trilogy and kind of the surrounding uh, stuff, which some of it is really great, but I feel like we were just barraged with books and toys and mm-hmm. random stuff with the prequels, which is both good and bad from a consumerist standpoint, but I'll say it's good for this for this podcast. But specifically, I remember um, there was a, a series called Jedi Quest, which was for children. Um, and so they did a Jedi Apprentice series, which was Obi-Wan and Anakin, and they did Jedi Quest, which I believe was then um, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? Qui-Gon, Anakin, then Obi-Wan and Anakin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jedi Quest said Ilum, and they were like, Ilum, lightsabers. I was like, that's cool. And then like a year later, they were like, Ilum, lightsabers, Clone Wars animated show. And I was like, I know, I, I can see this as a nine-year-old, as mm. a 10-year-old, <laughs> which is, I mean, like part of that connective synergistic tissue that we're talking about, which I think all of that is really working to the best of your abilities with this. Because again, I'm comparing this almost directly to Shadows of the Empire. And Shadows of the Empire, some of it's very cool. Some of it does not work so well. I think everything that they did in between two and three from 2002 to 2005 just hits hits the mark every single time. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very impressed now looking back at all of it and how it's all connected. Yeah, and I got to say, I'm, I'm cynical and quick to dismiss kind of the... Uh, and I shouldn't be, I'm acknowledging that, but I'm kind of quick mm-hmm. to dismiss the importance of a lot of like legend stuff. Um, cause I was huge. Obviously I was like super huge into star Wars during the prequel era and leading up to the prequel era ever since. Um, but I didn't pay super close attention to the comics and I read the novels, but you know, kind of like I would pick and choose. And so, um, and then I just like, I always talk about this on the show, but like, I've always been somebody who will, um, uh, kind of uh, buy into uh, George's propaganda. You know what I mean? Or like whatever George says, it's like, well, that, that's, that is the gospel. You know, he said it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like when he's like, oh yeah, that none of that stuff was ever canon, none of it ever mattered to me. I, I just buy it. But then like you start looking into these things and you see that like, no, he would pull things from Dark Horse comics. He would pull things from Legends novels. He would work with these creators and like really you know, it, it depends on what, and I love him, but it depends on what narrative he wants to sell in that moment, whether that stuff right. was important or mattered. But mm-hmm. for me, like, you know, as a young person, 
um, you know, worshiping at the altar of George Lucas. It's like, if he says that stuff didn't matter to him, that it didn't matter to him. If he says it didn't influence him and didn't influence him, but you know, the, 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 the record of history kind of shows that nah, the stuff is more important and more influential than, you know, he would sometimes acknowledge, I guess. So yeah, yeah that's, that's something I, a habit I kind of have to work myself out of a little bit is just like, you know, looking back at this period of time and thinking, oh, if it didn't come from George, it doesn't matter. And that's not right. true. I love it. I, I love what George took. And like what you're saying, his story changes every time someone asks him about something because it's like he took Ayla Sakura, put her in episode two because he loved her on the cover of a comic book. And that mm-hmm. was why he put her in episode two. He loved Quinlan Voss because he liked the design and it was partially inspired by an extra in episode one. So Quinlan Voss was going to be in episode three, right? He's mentioned in episode three, but they even have an animatic of him in episode three. Um, and then you have instances where he's like, I don't know who Mara Jade is. Like, what are you talking about? Right? Which is very funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all of it though, is kind of this uh, amalgamation of who we think of as George. And even recently I'm looking at this prequel archives book that came out where He's interviewed last year about his hopes for the sequel trilogy, where he's using Darth Talon from the legacy comics that were Dark Horse, probably around this time, maybe three or four years later. Um, but again, a, an expanded universe character that he was going to really make a part of the, the saga. So it's just very interesting of what he was picking and choosing, but also being like, none of this is real, like unless <laughs> it comes from my mouth. <laughs> and this is a side note because it's kind of in the news right now, but it's animated which is this rumor that Star Wars detours might be coming out on Disney Plus, which I don't believe. I think that's fake. But if it does come out, people are going to lose their minds because they're going to be like, this sucks, right? But, <laughs> but this is what I think. I'm excited because I, I will watch it and I'll, I'll, you know. But George Lucas, I think, had more to do with Star Wars detours than he did with Star Wars The Clone Wars with Filoni. I'm almost 100% sure. Like, I think he was in the room almost every day with Seth Green, for this show. I'm almost positive because he's on all these panels for celebrations with Seth Green, like freaking out and being like, he's having a blast. And so people are going to come out and say they hate this show. If it ever gets on Disney plus, and then the three of us and everyone listening will know how, how much George Lucas <laughs> loved this, like how much he thought this was the funniest thing of all time. So that's all I'll say about George Lucas and his taste, I guess. But, um, oh, uh, Brandon, I, I, uh, you are making me feel all kinds of uncomfortable here right now. Just, <laughs> Just at the prospect of what what am I going to do when Star Wars Detours launches on Disney Plus? Like, how am I going to? I just I won't know what to do. <laughs> you're going to have to stand it. I don't. Yeah, you're going to have to stand. You're going to have to stand. <laughs> you're going to be working out. You're going to be pumping the dumbbells, getting your Kifisto <laughs> body ready, just powering these Star Wars Detours episodes, and you're gonna be like, I love this. This is my favorite Star Wars. This is better than Empire Strikes Back. All right, this might be one way for me to uh, digest uh, detours, I guess. If I need something to keep me occupied in the gym, maybe maybe that works. Um, for detours, I don't know. I'll figure, I'll figure out a workout <laughs> program for us. It would be great. Yeah. Oh, my God. Do you work in marketing? Because that's perfect, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, kind of last thing on volume one, um, Asajj Ventress. Brandon, you brought her up early earlier, but we really haven't talked about her. Uh, what a cool um, character introduced here uh, in in the Tartakovsky Clone Wars. Um, I think introduced here, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So as you said, she was kind of developed uh, in concept art, or a character very similar uh, developed in concept art for Attack of the Clones. But you know, kind of makes her debut here um, and has really never left 
Star Wars since she debuted here. Um, there's some great, great stuff with her uh, here, her kind of battles with, uh, or, or I guess what, sparring with Dooku. And uh, I so love the battle with Anakin on Yavin 4 with that. Is it called a blood moon? The blood moon behind him, oh, uh, behind so them. Yeah. And the flashes of Qui-Gon and Yoda and Obi-Wan. Um, it's quintessential, just amazing Star Wars. Um, so, so good. And obviously they, they held that for the kind of climax of volume one, uh, or the first kind of run of these 20 episodes, but it's, it's amazing. It's, it's so, so good. I love the way she, um, kind of debuts like her look in the show. This is my favorite, like Asajj Ventress look. Cause she is like straight up, like Nosferatu. Like she looks like an actual, like, you know, way old school, vampire um like that just like pasty skin like her ears are even like kind of pointy and she just has like that like kind of sunken in face and i think like you know they as she made the move from like just pure villain to like kind of like anti-hero to well, okay, people like her. She she's good. Um kind of thing <laughs> like by the end with like her and like Quinlan Boss and like all that stuff like um you know, this this I think is the quintessential Asajj Ventress. It's like my favorite iteration of her. I think she's like creepy and um just like really cool looking. Um not like a whole lot there like character wise um like she's just like pure like she's like she's like Darth Maul in Phantom Menace basically like she's just like pure like rage and hatred and um it but I don't know it just like it works so well here like she's fantastic again I think the the climaxes of both of these show both of these seasons kind of hinging on Anakin's emotion and like his his state and her being the the foil in this season and then in the second one it kind of being this trial he has to go through um mm-hmm. is really incredible and then of course we can talk about color theory for days and days and days but like the red and the blue and then him taking up the red lightsaber and like them like there are parts where they are just in shades of red or just in shades of blue and it is just like gorgeous again like maybe the best star Wars has ever been. And it's just like, well, this is cool. Like <laughs> let's do all of this um, forever. So very, very, very cool. She's great. Yeah. I feel like that, the, the lightsabers uh, illuminating the faces and that kind of thing was, was uh, so impactful and impressive in, in the end of attack of the clones, you know, but that's, it's film, right? So, um, you know, you can only push it so far, I suppose. And then, you know, I feel like uh, th- this team making this show was like, you know, what what a what a great visual. Like, we're a cartoon. We can do anything we want with this. You know, we can have a giant uh, blood moon behind them and really kind of, you know, flash like flashing those images of of uh, Qui Gon and Obi Wan, which is a little bit of a, of a different thing. But in that moment, in that same moment, um, they can really just kind of push it. You know, and so uh, yeah, it's it's so visually impressive. And I guess that's you know, before we move on to Volume Two, that's that's one point that I I think we should make about Volume One as well. Um, you know, George talks all the time, uh, speaking of George talk, George talks all the time about like star Wars being, uh, uh, working as a silent film, you know what I mean? And how it's so, it's all Mm -hmm. about the visual language and the visual storytelling and, you know, looking at volume one, especially 
that's primarily what you have there, right? I mean, there's dialogue, but it's not much. And um, it is a very visual medium and a very visual uh, kind of storytelling mode for for anything, but for, you know, for Star Wars, for sure. And uh, I think it, it really does kind of um, connect back to that core of what Star Wars was initially envisioned yeah. to be in a super successful way. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I guess if we're moving to season two, I'd love to spend a moment because we keep talking about this as the climax, which it is in terms of emotional arc of the people that we care about. But the actual finale of the season is the introduction of Grievous. It is, it is the Mm -hmm. first time you see general Grievous. And again, as a 10 year old, actually, this is not the first time. The first time they were like, this is the new bad guy for episode three. And I was like, okay. And they showed him in two different places. There's a cover of the insider. And then he was on a cover of the Boba Fett young adult series. Okay. And that's how they introduced general Grievous. And then they're like, okay. And then he'll also be on this episode of the clone Wars. you should watch and see who this bad guy is. And I think he's, he's scarier and more badass than he is in the actual movie in this, in this one episode of, of clone wars. I think he's more effective than any other appearance. In my opinion, that's a hot take for today. Uh, no, I'm with you because he is uh, totally deadly here. Uh, and, uh, you know, he gets his like big hero moment, like the the whole development of of the final moments of this season. Uh, it's all about developing Grievous as this powerful entity. Um, and I don't think, uh, you know, Revenge of the Sith really has time to uh, to give Grievous that much stroke or shine. You know what I mean? It's not it's not his yeah. show, but uh, but mm-hmm. these final moments of this season, it is. It absolutely is. Um, it's a little jarring, the different voice, you know, cause we're so used to obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Wood as the voice of Grievous, but, uh, you know, this is like one more, uh, villain in a long, uh, you know, line or tradition of the British, you know, sounding, uh, Star Wars villain too. Cause I think, I think this Grievous has a bit of a British, uh, kind of thing going on. Right. Uh, yeah. even though it's probably, probably not a British, uh, voice actor, I don't think, but, uh, but I think they went that traditional route with the, with the voice there. Um, for Grievous too. So it's, it's interesting because he does, like you mentioned, he goes through a dramatic character change in between season one of clone Wars, season two of clone wars, labyrinth of evil, the James Lucino novel, and then episode three. And that's purposeful. Lucas was like, I want him to be kind of, I think he calls it like a mustache twirling villain by episode three, where he's more just like escaping things rather than impacting the story at all, which is interesting because I don't know if that's effective or not, because part of, the reasoning of all of this, which is very cool, and it, it is kind of like George Lucas backing up and being like, yes, of course, that was my plan, was all the villains of the prequels were supposed to introduce a part of Darth Vader, right? So G- General Grievous, for instance, is being part machine, part part man, part alien. Dooku is supposed to symbolize a Jedi that fell. Maul is supposed to symbolize rage, that kind of thing, you know? And so initially it was going to be the Grievous show and he was going to be the guy. But really, if you think about it, like Grievous gets killed halfway through episode three. He really doesn't make that much of an impact to the plot. Dooku does not make an impact to the plot in episode three at all. Um, And I mean, well, besides, you know, Anakin killing someone in cold blood, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) but, but during all of that, during this whole conception of the the character, it's still going through incredible changes when this character is introduced. Like you said, the British accent, I think they were, this could be wrong again, cut this out if I'm wrong. Gary Oldman, I think was going to do the voice of General Grievous. Um, And so that might've impacted. I don't think Gary Oldman would have like done it. I don't know. I have no idea what his voice would have been like, but that was who they wanted. Um, and then the voice even changes from season one to season two. 
So you don't even get that um, consistency. So that's your General Grievous uh, fun facts for the day. And I feel like I've talked for like 10 minutes about (laughs) about random General Grievous things that I know. No, that's super interesting. And I I was reading about, um, you know, kind of how Revenge of the Sith uh, changed during reshoots today and how like the whole, um, you know, kind of Anakin fall was like totally changed up in reshoots and how like initially the way the film was filmed uh, in the first place, there was like a lot of different ways in which Anakin was kind of influenced to, you know, become a Sith or whatever versus obviously the final version of the film is like, well, no, you know, his attachment to Padme was his undoing. And so uh, his selfish kind of attachment to Padme was his undoing. And so, um, yeah, it's so it's so interesting to to kind of uh, follow that progression of how things, you know, kind of change. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of at the end of volume two, but, uh, you know, they, they kind of had Mace Windu do that like lung crushing, you know, organ crushing mm-hmm. moment at the end of volume two, because George decided after they'd already made most of the episodes of the show, like, Oh no, he's going to cough all the time in revenge of the Sith. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, they found a way to kind of make that work. So, um, that stuff is do all, do y'all know who general Grievous's cough is? Do you know who voices general Grievous's cough in? It's revenge not Matt Sith? Wood. It's not Matt Wood. No, I don't know. It's George Lucas. What? He was in the booth and he had a cough and Matt Wood was like, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and and they put in the movie. That's a real. That's a real story. Again, if that's not a real story, and I'm just pulling things out of my butt, <laughs> but that is that is the the story that has been told. I'll say that it's wow. George Lucas uh, coughing. I had no idea. I had no idea. It's canon to me. That's <laughs> your head canon. Yep. Yep. <laughs> From a certain point of view, it's <laughs> definitely my point of view. I'm like 95 percent sure. But again, what do I, I like it? The shroud of the dark side has fallen begun the clone war has Clone Wars are a major event in the history of the Star Wars universe. And uh, obviously because it's a war, there's a lot of action and a lot of adventure and a lot of things going on. But in the films, we don't really get to deal with that very much. We kind of start the Clone War in one episode, we end it in the next episode, but we never actually see the war. Um, And so uh, by doing the animated series, it was a great opportunity to fill in some of the blanks in the middle where you get to deal with the adventures of the war and all the things that went on during the war. Because obviously that's a very fertile ground for exciting storytelling. The response from the first 20 has been really positive. I think everybody just complained about how short they were. Uh, I get a phone call that George wanted to talk to me and they had this idea because they wanted to do more but he wanted it to tie in directly into episode three. It seemed like an honor. You know, he, he enjoyed the first batch enough to want to be like, hey, let's do some more. And not only that, let's watch you guys animate the opening scrawl, basically. We're like, woohoo! That's one of the great things about these. They're 12-minute episodes, and wow, we could fit four times, obviously, as much information. And plus, it directly ties into the third movie, which makes it even more captivating because it's more of a story rather than just episodes of war. The big arc that we worked on was with the Anakin and Obi-Wan. In our first batch, it was more of like what was going on in episode two with the kind of 
you know, gruffy master and the kind of the, you know, bullheaded student. You're supposed to be in space leading our forces. It's under control. Under control? I don't think so. Your place So we really wanted to show that there was a, a, a transfer of that, you know, that the relationship had become something a bit different. That those elements could still be there under the surface, but for the most part, you know, they're chums, they're pals. And so if you like the first ones, these will be even stronger, because now we still have huge amounts of action, but we've got those little slower parts where you can have some great character relationships. We are now going to get into uh, season two, and this is like, I don't know if I've ever seen this happen with a show before, where it's like, hey, we're just going to quid quadruple the length of the episodes now <laughs> like for the <laughs> next season like it would be like i don't know like um you know like wandavision like starting at like something and then like all of a sudden they're like okay now we're just doing like three hour episodes <laughs> like yeah, we're coming back with some some three hour ragers um but yeah they uh essentially quadrupled the length of the episodes um, going from about three minutes to 12 minutes. Um, but when you watch it on Disney+, Plus, this is interesting and weird. Like, you just watch season one and season two, like, in mm. a large chunk. And um, I, th- I think it, like, works really well. It flows super well. But um, I think John mentioned this earlier, but the pace changes in season two. And I think... Season two is going to feel more familiar to people who have watched the Filoni and company Clone Wars because it does kind of it kind of slows down like season one is just like season one's like just like music video craziness like so (laughs) so visual very little dialogue and then season two it really kind of slows down um what Brandon? What were your thoughts going from season one to season two? Yeah, again, it's interesting how they've clumped it on Disney Plus and on the DVDs as well, because when you're watching it live, twenty years ago, it was season one was half, and then you waited six months. Season two was technically kind of the same amount of episodes, but again, three to five minutes, and then you waited about a year, and then there was season three technically, where it was the same amount of episodes, but 15 minutes longer. So when you're able to put it all together, which makes sense because the storylines between that season one and season one and a half are the same, um, it flows, of course. And so it's interesting now going to this, but it really does make things even more cinematic. And it makes me want even longer seasons of this show, right? I mean, like if they just kept this going forever... I think one of y'all were mentioning it earlier about like original trilogy. And all I could think about was like, can you imagine original trilogy in this style, 15 minute episode micro series? Like that would just be a dream. Mm. Um, and even if they did that, cause like I could see everything that they put on Disney plus, I feel like they're doing it for a reason. And I'm kind of going off track. Here. I feel like they're doing it for a reason to see mm. like what the analytics are going to be or like, what's going to happen. And I feel like this is really blowing up. And that's why we're kind of getting that room about detours because people are like really talking about Gendy Clone Wars for the first time in 20 years. Mm. And it would be incredible because he's done some incredible things afterwards. Uh, There's a show called Primal, I believe that's called, it's very good uh, that he's done recently. um, That's a cartoon as well. But if they brought Gendy back and did like, here is Ray's 
story oh. after the rise of skywalker like how pumped would literally everyone be right everyone would be pumped and it's like make it happen and if it doesn't happen i'm gonna just like make a blog about um how kathleen kennedy is ruining star wars so yeah. <laughs> she does not have enough star wars toys on her desk <laughs> I mean, how can she know what she's doing it. with this company right, right. <laughs> cheese uh, yeah, I mean, watching this show, um, over the weekend, it's, it's really, um, been one of those situations where I'm like, uh, can we get some more 2d, you know, star Wars animation? And and what is that? Like, I, I don't know enough about the whole process, um, to know, you know, kind of like how much less expensive, more expensive, difficult to produce, whatever that is than, than 3d animation. But, uh, yeah, and and I don't know like Star Wars Visions. I guess that's going to be yeah. um, probably two D animation. So we do have some on the horizon, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's not that I want it instead of three D animation, but um, I could sure use uh, a different flavor, you know, here and there. Yeah. So um, what you're describing sounds totally incredible. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, tweet at her directly uh, through the Star Wars account because they definitely have that power, right? So just definitely just bombard the social media managers of at Star Wars, uh, and really just ruin their day because, because that's how you make your voice heard, uh, and do it on all the partners as well. Do it on the Hasbro live, live streams, do it everywhere. Just being like, um, hashtag 2d Ray Skywalker, Jedi Academy, Gendy episode 10. I think that's a good hashtag. But again, those people have the power. And so so that's where you should go. Sorry. I did y'all watch the Hasbro live stream recent like a couple of days ago, the fan force. I was watching it and it was just all these people being like, Cara Dune, Cara Dune, Cara Dune. And I was like, stop. Stop. Oh, wow. Just, just just be a person. Just like just understand that the social media manager has no power. Like that it's just a person. This is just anyway, that's sorry. I'm subtweeting these crazy people. But um, <laughs> anyway, but my hashtag will work. What was it mm-hmm. exactly? Mm-hmm. It was um, Ray Skywalker 2D animation, Gendy episode 10, make it happen, Kathleen Kennedy. Was that the full hashtag? Something like that. I think Mara Jade. Off the tongue. <laughs> Mara Jade. Make Mara Jade canon. Yeah. Uh, make yeah. Luke Skywalker uh, married. You know, all these hashtags that I've really tried to instill into the community. Um, if you could, if you could help me just kind of get that momentum, because right now people my, are- my entire blockchain, uh, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think like in all seriousness though, like having Gendy come back to Star Wars in any capacity, I think would be such, such a huge win. Um, I think just like. I mean, I don't even know what what even is hand-drawn animation these days because it's hand-drawn on tablets and right. animated through computers now. It's not, you know, it's not the way it was, you know, 40 years ago. It's not the way it was 20 years ago when this was being made. Um, so it has changed, but I think just like having someone with, you know, and this is like, you know, we're making the mistake here of like the, the auteur attribution here. Cause like, it obviously wasn't just Gendy like right. making this, like it was his entire team and, you know, these um, animators who were in like the same kind of like mindset and um, skill set. And I think like bringing 
a group of like those kind of like-minded people back together to work on something in Star Wars and like cover like a pivotal um, era of animation. And, you know, I love the idea of continuing the sequel trilogy story um, through this, um, like something like that. But the place that my mind went first that I think this team would really work uh, super well on would be High Republic. Ooh, oh man. That's thinking with your head. That's great. Let's do it. That's my dream. What's the hashtag? What's the hashtag? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm asking kindly and respectfully for you to consider this. Anyways, even if you don't, that's fine and my life will go on because like I'm a functioning adult. See, that's too long of a hashtag, but I understand the sentiment <laughs> behind it. It's fine. It's just not going to happen, you know, but it's okay. Yeah. I don't know a lot about marketing, but if you don't have Buryaga in your High Republic hashtag, I don't think you're doing it right, you know, so. <laughs> make make Geode animated, right? <laughs> yeah. It is a good, yeah. Ge- Geode would be the one, actually. That's true. The, the main character, for sure. <laughs> Oh. Sorry, I've really taken y'all off the rails, and I feel really guilty about it because y'all are really buttoned up, and I'm out here just like really, <laughs> really missing. I think this is exactly the track we need to be on. Yeah, personally, we, we probably need a little more of this on this show, actually. So, uh, no, it's perfect. It is perfect. Um, well, uh, let's see what else. Um, you, we talked about Qui Gon uh, a little bit before, but I, I love the fact that uh, Qui Gon. Like, I feel like the people making this show were like, "Hey, Qui Gon, you know, he died in the Phantom Menace, but we have to make sure we uh, really cement his legacy and kind of like come mm-hmm. back to Qui Gon as often as we can." And and when we depict Qui Gon, we're going to do that with the hardest, most exaggerated nose uh, ever seen in, in, that, <laughs> in, in, in animation. Like, this thing is going to be. Uh, a sight old, to behold. Yeah. And I mean, they did it, you know, uh, it's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I do love like all the Qui-Gon love in the show. And, uh, <laughs> I'd love the mm-hmm. way they mm-hmm. depicted him as well. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. And, you know, I, I don't have too many disappointments with the prequels like as a whole, but, uh, it, you know, if there's one thing where it's like, man, if there's anything I could change about these prequel films, it's like, why don't I get Liam Neeson, Qui-Gon Jinn, in a sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi role in Attack of the Clones and in Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. Um, I want that so much. I know that it was planned for Revenge of the Sith and then they didn't do it. Um, So yeah, you know, I'll take what I can get and uh, bringing Qui-Gon back here, uh, I think was a a masterstroke and and, and I I love it. What a bummer. What like that whole thing is filmed and storyboarded and they literally just need him to get on the phone like what they because he comes back he's not voiced by Liam Neeson in this show but he is voiced by Liam Neeson in a similar scene like we get the 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 premiere for season two but in a similar scene for 3d clone wars but he's voiced by Liam Neeson and that's because they literally called him and we're like hey can you just like do two lines for us and they're like he was like yeah sure whatever and they just have to do that again for this you know the whatever 4k box set they make me buy in a year and like hey boy, we, we redid the <laughs> the Qui-Gon scene that's in the movie now because it's in the comic book. It's in the deleted scenes. It's everywhere. The novel. Yeah. It's in the Mm -hmm. novel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, so, so wait, Um, Brandon, are you, are you saying that you have Intel that that scene has been, has been filmed? No, it, am I, 
am I just like making it up that it's on the DVD? But I'm almost positive that there is either an animatic because it's all mostly CG because it's Yoda, right? Listening to, yes. to Qui-Gon. And I'm almost positive that it's on the DVD as a deleted scene. And then there's Bail Organa being like, you're needed because Padme's dying or whatever it is, right? Yes. I'm almost positive it exists in almost a relatively final form. Like it would take a, an ILM team a week to kind of build out and finish up. Okay. Yes. I think you're right about that. I don't think they ever filmed uh, Liam Neeson, but yeah, you're right. No, yeah, the- correct. Liam Neeson was never recorded for it, but everything else was, and they could have literally been like Liam Neeson, here you go, but it was planned. It's okay. There. Yeah. Because Yoda was going to be looking out at that star field, right. And he was going to hear the voice of Qui-Gon. Uh, I feel like they actually were going to have him kind of appear like as a vision, oh, but like, but like no. in the star field. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Oh, like that would have been there. even, Oh, wow. No, because yeah. like in the comic book, for that's where I'm kind of going visually. It's him just listening to the voice of Qui Gon, being like, "I know how to, you know, not not die and be a ghost or whatever it is, right? Um, I know how to disappear after you die, uh, and that's why he says that to Obi Wan afterwards. Totally. Um, but I never heard about the Starfield thing. Now I want that to happen. Liam Neeson, what are you doing? Stop making these <laughs> movies. Just do what I want. Now, I may actually cut this out, but um, real quick, uh, <laughs> at, at Star Wars Celebration 3, um, I was at Star Wars Celebration 3 in Indianapolis, and uh, I was there with a buddy of mine, Dan, and uh, you know he had been like following all the spoilers. He'd read yeah. about what was in the novel ahead of time. He knew all this stuff, and I was like vehemently anti-spoiler. I don't want to know about this stuff. And I told him, like whatever happens because we would drink you know quite a bit at celebration i told him like whatever (laughs) happens don't tell me like i don't want to know any spoilers or whatever um and uh that saturday night in indianapolis we went out we were up till like two in the morning we'd like dan you have to tell me you have to tell me and finally he did he did tell me at like two in the morning like okay qui-gon's going to appear to yoda and he's going to tell him the secret of retaining your identity in the force and i was like Oh my God, Revenge of the Sith is going to be the most incredible movie. This is unbelievable. Um, and then I was honestly like, when I went to see Revenge of the Sith, of course I loved it, but I was like, what the hell happened to the Qui Gon thing? Like, what's going on? I was mm-hmm. I was pretty yeah. disappointed. Yeah. It's so it's so funny thinking about spoilers for especially Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith because I again 2003 I was 11. I knew everything that was going to happen to that movie, right? <laughs> I, saw, I was a hyperspace webcam kid, and I saw all the things that was that mm. were happening. I read the book beforehand. I read the comic book beforehand. So I had like – I was like, this is what's going to happen in this movie. And now that will never happen again. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it was very interesting, their approach to spoilers mm-hmm. and their enjoyment of a movie versus now. Uh, but yeah, it not happening was a shock to me because I was like, oh, I, I read this twice. Are you telling me that this is not part of this? Because I was also, Rick McCallum would always be like, we will find out why Qui-Gon's body did not disappear, but Obi-Wan's body did. I remember and like, that. And I'm like, yeah. all right, do we? Anyway, that's all. Um, Rick was the ultimate hype man. He didn't care if it was true or not. He was going to say it, you know, I which was, uh, which we loved him for. Um, yeah, the, the other, um, 
Revenge of the Sith spoiler that I was really disappointed by uh, when it didn't happen. I remember being in the computer lab of my uh, university at the time and my buddy was down there and we were just like, you know, on the 56K internet doing whatever. And he's looking up stuff on the force.net and he's like, dude, you won't believe this spoiler I just came across. I'm like, what is it? What is it? He's like, Wat Tambor is back and badder than ever. (laughs) 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 Revenge of the Sith. Oh, that's so Um, good. And I feel like that didn't happen. So, you know, it's uh, obviously what was happening is they were crossing wires with General Grievous there, you know, because he he described like, oh, yeah, he's going to like break through a window of a spaceship and he's going to totally like have everybody sucked out into the vacuum. And so somebody read that script and thought the uh, the Grievous scene was Wat Tambor, which not going to lie. I don't know. I mean, that that may have been a better call. He's he's moving his dials around and he's (laughs) dialing the radio. Yeah. Yeah. So bringing us back to <laughs> yeah, good call, good call, good call. Uh, yes. season uh, season two here. Uh, a definite highlight for me was uh, seeing some uh, techno union army members uh, back in better than ever for sure. Uh, w- when they uh, say the line, um, they don't tune their dials though, which is mm-hmm. a bit of a bummer. But they Big do miss. say, "Unleash the specimen." <laughs> And that is like classic techno union army uh, right there. So that made me real happy. God, I feel so bad for all those guys. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying it was, it's cool to get a look at, uh, at the, at the techno union army and to see, you know, more Watt Tambors. I'm a huge fan of Watt Tambor. So that, that, that Mm -hmm. was exciting. But yeah, I agree with you, Brandon. It was super like, man, Anakin just like took them to task, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting because Wat Tambor, again, growing up as a 10-year-old, Wat Tambor was set up as kind of like a big bad guy. And you're like, he's not a big bad guy. He's in 30 mm. seconds of two movies. But he was like a Game Boy, like they made a Game Boy Advance game. And he was the bad guy for this mm-hmm. Game Boy Advance game. And I was like, this dude is the baddest dude of all time. And obviously he's not. But, you know, cool stuff. And again... Maybe we, if this Kit Fisto training doesn't pan out, maybe we all just pivot to all being Wat Tambor, like a Wat Tambor group or something like that. We all walk around celebrating together, turning our dials. It could be cool. Again, I'm just throwing things out. You, you can. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just workshopping too, but like a Wat Tam trio, maybe, you know what I mean? Something mm, like that. That's pretty good. See, you can work in marketing. <laughs> I, I've <laughs> definitely grown into more of a Wat Tambor body. Uh, <laughs> in, you know, post, post pandemic, you put on those, uh, Wat Tambor pounds, uh, <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, no. Yeah. And you Not gotta wear the, the radio gotta, quite enough. <laughs> I need a, I need a, um, what's it in football? The, the shoulder pads, right? So it's kind of like. Mm-hmm. But then I also need the cloak, right? I need I need a full like mask around my entire body so that no one knows how how much I've actually gained during this pandemic. I think is the key. So again, if if this Kit Fisto detours uh, training program does not work for the three of us, we could always just pivot because I feel like it's a pretty easy costume. We just have to get the mask. Mm-hmm. That sounds mm-hmm. good. That sounds good. <laughs> Um, let's, oh, we got to talk about, we have to talk about Mace Windu and like mm. how the ultimate Mace, this is Mace Windu's ultimate form. You know what I mean? Like he has ascended yeah. to Super his most, Saiyan. yeah, totally. I mean, he's mm-hmm. wrecking house all over the place in volume two of, uh, uh of this micro series. And, uh, 
yeah, I just feel like, you know, I, I love the character, but sometimes I do feel like he's, he just gets saddled with like being the old grump in the movies, you know? So to mm-hmm. see him kind of like really take care of business, um, here is, is amazing. I mean, he, he, he ends up, um, on some sort of fighter, it pulls the wires out of it. And like, I don't know, through a combination of the force and, uh, and, uh, electronics, you know, flies a ship like a motorcycle through Coruscant. It's, it's super <laughs> impressive stuff. He's, he's totally hardcore. Mm-hmm. So here's mm-hmm. the thing, which is Mace Windu badass. And it, we didn't talk about season one where he like, doesn't have his lightsaber and he's doing all that cool force stuff. Mm-hmm. But season two, like you said, really amps up the Mace Windu and really makes him cool. And he has that purple Jedi starfighter, which I think is the coolest thing of all time, right? Where they're mm-hmm. like, he, his lightsaber that's his favorite color guys like that. That's what he loves. <laughs> he loves uh-huh, purple. Uh-huh. And there is a really, like we were talking about earlier, four hours ago or whatever it was, uh, <laughs> there are the, there are the realistic versions of the clone wars toys. And they made a realistic version of the purple Mace Windu Jedi Starfighter. And I don't really collect three, three, fours anymore or um, vehicles, but I'm like, oh, should I spend $200? on the purple Mace Windu Jedi Starfighter? And I think the answer might be Probably, yes. yeah. Yeah, look up at your a- ceiling right now and ask yourself, is there a place for a hook and some fishing line? <laughs> and if so, you need to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm on Amazon right now. It's actually only $70. One left in stock, 544 wow. delivery. That's a pretty good deal. It's practically it's in free. in the box. Practically free. My fi- Again, I keep buying these things while I'm depressed in quarantine. And my fiance <laughs> will come over and be like, what is this? And if she came over to see a purple Jedi Starfighter hanging from my ceiling, I might not get married in July. So um, – I'll I'll add this to my list. Just don't hang it up until August. You know, you're that's good. true. Until she's already committed. <laughs> until she's already signed the paperwork, and you're like, surprise. This is put it in the pre dop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm I, I am getting y'all so off track, and I feel so guilty. But I will not. No, no, no. <laughs> I think uh, I think really it's weird because season two is the one with like the more fleshed out storytelling and it's the one with like mm-hmm. bigger arcs. But even mm-hmm. as I was doing my notes, I was like, I have so much to say about volume one, but season two mm-hmm. uh, it's because like, there's really only five episodes, you know, I think it's five and they're longer, but you know, in terms of like, it, it's really like five topics to talk about versus like 20 in season uh, one, you know, volume one, whatever mm-hmm. seasons one and two. Um, so the only other things that like, I feel like we really need to cover from, uh, this season is uh, um, the the whole like Nelvon sequence with Anakin mm. and the tribal stuff. And honestly, I watched it today and I was a little bit like, I'm sh- kind of struggling to make sense of what's going on here. You know, <laughs> like I understand that it's epic. I understand that it's like, you know, a prophecy and it's Anakin doing the whole dark side thing. I get all of that. But as somebody who talks a fair amount of shit about the uh, Clone Wars. Um, oh my God. How am I forgetting the name with the father and the daughter and the son, the, uh, mm, the Mortis arc, the, the more I'm not a fan really of the Mortis arc. You, it's not my, yeah. not my thing. I got to say, it makes more sense to me than like what happens here <laughs> on Melvon with Anakin and the tribal tattoos. I, I feel, I get a feeling from it and I like it, but I, I don't, I'm not totally cognizant of what happened in this whole sequence. Maybe you guys can fill me in or uh, have a better, better kind of understanding of that whole thing. It's definitely the most felony feeling thing um, in it. 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of like the the sequence with like the animated like hieroglyphics yeah. on on the wall, like that. Um, reminded me of like uh the the dark saber stuff. Um, that like kind of like animated sequence um in Rebels, which. I just I I love that like sort of like minimalist art approach and it like it looks like a like a 2D indie game uh basically like the action there which is um pretty sweet. I didn't like I didn't get a ton from the story like it was like it was kind of mortis but it was also kind of like 3PO with the Ewoks in mm. Return of the Jedi <laughs> vibes as well. Um but I mean it also like it just it moves so quickly that like even if I'm like not feeling something, which I would say that's probably the thing that like I wasn't feeling the most in um the Clone Wars micro series. Like even if that's the case, like I it's it's over so quickly and like you're on to something else. Like then you're like suddenly back with like Padme doing like awesome action and sharp shooting and then it's like, you know, then it, you know, kinda ends with um grievous kidnapping the the chancellor and like there's just there's all these other things going on and it's like all within like a 20 minute sequence so i love that you said that it was the most felony because like you mentioned the mortis arc this is very reminiscent even of that very end of the mortis arc where like the shadows of vader's helmet are behind him you know while he's having that Mm -hmm. vision and then in this it kind of the hieroglyphics become a vader helmet very briefly um so yeah very very cool and and like we talked about earlier this kind of akira kind of body dysmorphia a little it very interesting and very um emotional like i was like really feeling for these warriors and feeling for their families and that whole arc of kind of the antithesis of anakin's which was he becomes a monster and stays a monster for 30 years and in this case like they are forced to become monsters as well but then are brought back to their families and kind of are able to experience their home again and, and a new normal, which I thought was very, very um, emotional and very, very well told. So it, it doesn't make sense. Like you said earlier, it doesn't make like the most sense in the entire world, but when you look at it kind of like the end of season one, where it's tracing Anakin's arc, it really does in the broad strokes kind of tie that all together, which I thought was, was very, very cool. Yeah, I think so for sure. And uh, in the last like 10 minutes of volume two, they do really go for like the visual parallels like that. Um, you know, as you brought up, Brandon, like Anakin has the uh, the robotic arm and then so do the the Nel, I, I don't know what they're called exactly, but the <laughs> Nelvon, uh, you know, um, natives there have these robotic, you know, attachments um, on them that they, you know, obviously rip off as Anakin will later on down the road, you know, so there's that parallel. And then also um, Anakin kind of like in the med bay dealing with his hand, you know, very Empire Strikes Back, Luke at the end there, you know, so they're kind of like really, um, and again, like back to the fact that like, hey, George talks about Star Wars as, as, you know, being something that you can just understand through the visual alone, you know, in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. or that being an intention of, of the way it was put together. I think um, there's a lot of that going on uh, towards the end here. And uh, I, I, mean, I want to clarify, like, to me, I think it's a super cool sequence. And uh, it, it works for me on like a primal level. But, you know, I was watching that whole like cave painting thing or hieroglyphics thing. And I was like, wait, what all is going on here? You know, so but I, I don't mm-hmm. really need it to like, you know, 
be uh, super literal. Um, cause again, like you, like you brought up, I feel like, you know, you kind of understand the parallels there. You understand the connections to who Anakin will become and, in you know, that part of his journey. So, uh, it's very cool. And, and I remember, I think I remember anyways, that it was like pretty, uh, like it was something we were talking about a lot at the time. Like, Whoa, did you, you know, cause again, this is in that era, like months before, uh, revenge of the Sith is coming out. So, I mean, I'm at like a feverish, like, level of anticipation for the final movie of the star Wars saga. And it's right. so cool to be like two months before that movie's coming out and watching this cartoon where you're seeing Anakin go through this journey. And it, yeah, I mean, it, it could not have been more what I was looking for at the time that it aired. So. Yeah. Do you want to hear my conspiracy theory for the end of season two or season three of clone wars 2d micro series? Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's my conspiracy theory, which is, I think it's great. And I love that we talked about the Anakin arc, which I think is the most important arc because the Grievous almost feels secondary to me because we know how that's going to end. But my conspiracy theory is, like we mentioned earlier, I think y'all were talking about how in flux all of Revenge of the Sith was, right? All was in Mm -hmm. flux, including the scene that we know was filmed, deleted scene on the DVD of Shakti captured, killed by Grievous on the ship. And in this, I was like, she was getting tied up and i was like oh they're gonna explain why she's on the ship this is great this makes a lot of sense and then there's like a weird cutaway scene where they're like yes here she is strung up on the ceiling and you're like well that doesn't make any sense why did they do this because i think they were like mm-hmm. hey fyi we cut this out of the movie like you should probably just like explain that she's not and same with the crushing that we see of mace window like hey fyi he coughs now like you should just like crush him <laughs> or something both of those i think came very late in the game they're like hey fyi just like really help us out here if you can. So those are my two conspiracy theories. One day Gendy will answer my emails and I'll get, I'll get, I'll get the truth or at least Paul, Paul Rudish answer my email. Someone answer my emails, but one day I'll get the truth. But he's so my, enthusiastic in that behind the scenes. Like, I feel like you have the wrong email. Cause that guy, he seems like he's primed to talk about this stuff. You know, <laughs> it's so. funny that you said that. Cause I, I, I don't think I have an email. I think both of them, I cannot find contact information for. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like his mm. nephew or something, uh, just let me know because I'll be very polite and I'll be very nice, but I would like to talk to either of them. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was cracking up watching that, uh, that, that final, you know, five or 10 minutes because it's like Grievous is this like evil powerhouse. Who's just like slicing through Jedi. And then like, there's one left and it's the one Jedi between him and escaping with Palpatine. He's like, I'm going to get some electric ropes. I'm going to tie you up over here. And then I'm going to take off. (laughs) How does that make any sense? Why would he do that? Um, so yeah, it was super fun, but, uh, you know, kind of final thing I think here about volume two is that it totally like it leads into, uh, the battle of Coruscant from the beginning of revenge of the Sith in such a cool way. And I know I keep going back to this, but to me, like, I just can't get over. And I think it's like the distance between, you know, 2005 and now, but, uh, t- to see like the opening of revenge of the Sith, like sort of be oh, so cool just premiered just like just the littlest bit at the end of the show. It's like, Oh my God, that's from the movie. You know, like it was two months before the movie, but there's the movie right there. Uh, it just like, I, I don't know. It's almost more impactful now, 20 years later. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, they did it, you know? And it's, uh, mm. it's, it's super, super cool. Yeah. And cause that's how they promoted it. Kind of like general grievous at the end of season one, like, this is the new bad guy. They promoted like, you're about to see in this final episode, the first moments of Revenge of the Sith. And I was like, all right, let's see. And they literally meant like the first 
one second of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> so, you know, I'll take it. You want to hear a nitpick that I have? Let me, I'll end this gushing session with me being like, what the hell, Gendy? Sure. should have mm. known better. At the end of this, you see this great scene. It's Mace Windu being like, hey, you need to get to Coruscant. And he's here's my new arm. You know, great, great tie-ins to Revenge of the Sith. What is wrong with that scene? I'll tell you. Anakin's scar is still blue in the final time you see Anakin. It never turns back to red. And you're like, he wasn't blue in the movie. So that's all I'll say. This this show could have been, you know, 10 more points on Rotten Tomatoes if they just made the <laughs> scar red instead of blue. And I could stop my hashtag campaign to fix that. Mm. But it's like, you know, it's like, come on, Gendy. You know better than this. They needed you in there as script supervisor. You know right. what I mean? Those With are the 10-year-old Brandon being like, wait a second. Are you kidding me? What the hell is going on? I mean, probably I any of us would have been like more equipped for that job at 10 years old than, than now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to, to find those little tiny, <laughs> That's like, true. That's true. yeah, yeah. I, I certainly didn't notice now <laughs> watching it today. Well, whenever you watch it again, the whole show will be ruined for you because those are uh-huh. the things that really matter the most when it comes to Star Wars, right? Are the details and not necessarily like the themes or the overarching story or like how it makes you feel and what mm-hmm. it makes you grow into, right? But it's really just yeah. the actual nitpicky details. And so I'm sorry that I ruined Clone Wars for you, but that's yeah. kind of. Well, I mean, especially when it comes to facial scars, because that's what ruined the sequel trilogy for me was <laughs> right, Kylo's no, great scar. Point. Great point. You know, it moved, uh, and you're like, I know this wasn't a complete story. They didn't plan yeah. this out in advance. Like, fire this, uh, this isn't a documentary. Right. <laughs> this How is dare fake. They? How dare they? Uh, I'm glad we're all on the same page. Again, yeah, this is really good. Yeah. So basically, uh, Gendy Clone Wars, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> That's that's the final word here. Let's uh where can people find us all on social media? So here we have Paul Rudish, who's the art director. And Paul's doing the same thing that I was showing you, except he's still drawing uh with a pencil and paper. Having the opportunity to be involved with the whole Star Wars saga, it's been really cool to actually explore the Clone Wars. Me and my friend Mike Tweed be playing with our action figures and down in the basement. And just, you know, dreaming about what were the Clone Wars all about. And then having an opportunity to make some of that gel is really awesome. It's fun that there's so many different little mediums that explore Star Wars and making it a larger universe. And just on a nerd level, it'll be cool to go, yeah, my cartoon connects to that movie. Now you get to go see the movie and then find out how my cartoon ended. The second group of episodes in the animated series leads right up to the events that happen in the film. So we get a little background on what was going on right before episode three. I mean, ideally, what we'd love to see is we'd love to see like an hour edit of the of the chapters, you know, the, the next five, be shown in the movie theater right before <laughs> the third movie, just to see how it feels, because it really does link up. of this epic saga I mean you gotta see it on the big screen oh oh there's a new one there's a new one coming you know it's a little episode two and a half but a little one maybe like (laughs) 2.3 
Oh my God. Okay. Uh, before we wrap up, just I, w- I just want to give you the opportunity, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Because I put in the notes like, okay, there were some toys. They were super cool. I didn't have any of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. I bought so many prequel toys. I bought so many Phantom Menace toys, so many Attack mm-hmm. of the Clones toys, so many Revenge of the Sith toys. I don't think I ever bought a Gendy stylized Star mm-hmm. Wars Hasbro figure. And I don't think I bought any of the more, I guess, kind of standard uh, style figures inspired by the Clone Wars. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever had any of these. Um, but you mentioned that you you did have them as a as a kid, right? You had uh, yeah. some of these toys. Um, so, uh, you know, like that's, I was on eBay today looking them up and trying to find <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really find a lot. I found individual figures going for anywhere from like $7 to $25. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I kind of have the bug after going back and, and watching the show. So uh, I'm curious about checking those out. Um, but you mentioned other merch. Um, so I just, I don't know if there was any other like, you know, iconic or really memorable merchandise or kind of like cross promotional stuff from this era that you remembered or uh, enjoyed as a, as a younger person there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, okay. So you mentioned the, the stylized things which are really, really, really great and definitely really attainable. There is, uh, I'm looking at the rebel scum archives and there is a shirtless, uh, Kit Fisto in case we all want to buy a realistic looking ripped Kit Fisto action figure. Because Might need it for research purposes. Right. Know. Just so that you know how to sculpt your body right over the next year. <laughs> I'll put that in the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool, the coolest thing I think now as an adult, and I'm not going to collect them because it's a, a rabbit hole, but gentle giant, I don't know how familiar you are with gentle giant, but gentle giant does all these really great mini bus and cats and statues. They did a series of maquettes. So like miniature statues of the animated stylized clone wars. And they're all really cool. And probably I would say 90% of them are still at cost. You could still probably get them for $50 if you really tried and looked on eBay and they're really cool. They're really badass. And then on top of how badass they are, like we talked about earlier, they also did some animated style classic trilogy figures as well. So you can get like Boba Fett or princess Leia or Luke or a Jawa in this style. I think that's really cool. So if you were really trying to spend like a thousand dollars to get a bunch of stuff, this could be the way to do it. I don't know. I would recommend getting uh, whey protein, maybe some creatine for the Kit Fisto body uh, thing instead for the $1,000. But in case you want to pivot, mm. maybe get these statues instead. No, I've just seen the Obi-Wan, uh, Tartakovsky Obi-Wan style, uh, Gentle Giant maquette. And uh, I think I, I have to have that. That's incredible. I'm excited um, for you. I'm excited yeah. for you. And again, it's it was $80 at retail when it came out in 2004. I bet you could get it right now for like 90 bucks. Like I bet you could probably just like get it. You know what I mean? So, hey, go for it. Yeah. I believe in you. I'm going to be on the hunt. The closest thing I have to a maquette uh, in my collection are these. Uh, I have these uh, Taco Bell uh, cup toppers like all <laughs> over my office, you know? Um, so... <laughs> It's going to be like a big jump in quality and uh, prestige sure. for me to get one of these gentle right. giant mm-hmm. maquettes, but uh, right. I think I have to do it. It's amazing. There is, uh, there is a, cause they did all these different original trilogy figures, you know, which is cool. And like, again, I would probably start with the collecting of the clone Wars because that's more classic, but I just put in the chat. And then if anyone listening is going to go look it up, they made a maquette in the clone Wars style of a scout oh, wow. trooper, which is cool. 
but it's called Scout Trooper parentheses Ewok attack. And there's two Ewoks, three Ewoks, like trying to kill a Scout Trooper in this limited edition animated maquette. And it is maybe the best Star Wars collectible of all time. This one's actually a little bit expensive because it's so cool. <laughs> Oh my God. But um, anyway, you know, uh, if you're trying to really spruce up your collection or if you're trying to like impress somebody when they come over and you're like, hey, look at this thing that I have. I think these might be the thing um, that could really hit that mark for you. So I know they're amazing. And uh, I mean, the thing with collecting is you have to have a focus. You know what I mean? Because there's right. especially with Star Wars, especially there's so much Star out there. You, mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't get right. it all. Right. So what you want to do is get a focus. And uh, I think Star Wars merchandise in this Tartakovsky style is like, I mean, that's an, yeah, yeah. Get in now before, you know, people listen to this episode and then. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's like, uh, it's like Pokemon cards, right? The values stay completely flat. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, really go for it. Cool. Cool. Uh, Um, I want to plug, I want to plug one more piece of Clone Wars from this era merch. Um, And this is something you can actually get super cheap. Um, The Clone Wars adventures comics. uh, They were in like these like digest comic forms. Um, They are fantastic. Uh, You know, obviously the art style from the show translates really well to like um, traditional comic style. Um, I have, I think I have all these, um, but you can get the, the, the later volumes can be kind of tricky to find at like a good price, but like, they're definitely out there. Um, I think there's about like 10 volumes of it. Um, and those are, uh, fantastic additions to, to your shelf for sure. Yeah. I didn't know about those until today when I was kind of doing a little more research here. Uh, do you have any idea, Ryan, are they, um, on Marvel unlimited at all, or cause like some of that dark horse, a lot of that dark horse stuff is right. Um, yeah, you, you, you keep talking one. and I will pull up Marvel unlimited <laughs> on my iPad right now. <laughs> okay. Well, I will move towards, uh, towards wrapping us up here. So, um, yeah, that's our look at the, at the micro series, our, our gushing over the micro series, our, our love for that show. And, uh, Brandon, I have to say, thank you so much again for, for joining us for this episode. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm a huge, huge fan. I know Ryan is too. We're both huge fans of Talking Bay 94. So it's a, it's a thrill to have you on. Um, could you tell like listeners a little bit, you know, about the show and, and kind of what you do uh, for those who may not be familiar? Yeah, thank you. And thank you for saying nice things that uh, I'll, I'll send you that check in the mail after this episode airs. <laughs> Um, I have a t-shirt yeah, on the way, actually. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Oh, there we go. And those got shipped out this weekend. We did it. Um, right. So those those are happening. Um, it wasn't just me taking your money. Um, so <laughs> yes, Talking Me 94 is weekly. It's me one-on-one interviewing someone that worked on Star Wars. Um, and so it's anyone from people like Sam Witwer, uh, ILM people like Dennis Muren or Phil Tippett, uh, to just like random aliens in the background of Jabba's palace. And like, I always try to find their story and try to talk to them. Um, because in case you cannot tell, I like star Wars a little bit. And I especially like the stories of how they made star Wars almost even more than I like star Wars itself sometimes. So, um, yeah. And new episodes, I've been on a little bit of a break cause I started a new job. Um, but new episodes are coming and <laughs> there's some, there's a few people that answered my emails and I was like, sure, man, like, um, I'm glad you answered. Let's do it. And so, um, should be really, really cool episodes coming up very, very soon. So, um, yeah, Talking Man 94, wherever you listen to this podcast is also probably, hopefully, where Talking Man 94 is. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, to kind of bring things full circle, we talked about like the era of DVD commentaries and DVD bonus features and how that's kind of like fallen by the wayside a little bit. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that whole thing with Star Wars is, is a huge part of the attraction, uh, to me and, and something that I've always been completely fascinated with. Uh, I was super sick, uh, two weekends ago with my second COVID-19 shot and like just feeling just awful. You know what I mean? And like, all weekend long, I had Star Wars DVD commentaries and like behind the scenes featurettes. And like, that's like when I'm like curled up in a fetal position and feeling right. awful, like that's mm-hmm. the comfort food. You know what I mean? Like behind the scenes yeah. stuff, uh, commentaries, et cetera, that kind of thing. And uh, I have to say, I mean, like there's some good stuff with the sequel trilogy, obviously the best being the director and the Jedi, yep. but it's just not the same as it was in the prequel era and in the DVD era um, as far as getting that rich behind the scenes content. And, um, I really feel like talking Bay 94 is this total treasure and absolute resource for anybody who's, uh, a fan of star Wars and a, and a fan of that behind the scenes stuff. And if you're not listening to the show, you are completely missing out on like the current resource for behind the scenes, star Wars, uh, knowledge and content. So I, I am not just saying it cause you're here, Brandon, I'm saying it because <laughs> it's absolutely, you know, the best place to go for that kind of uh, information right now. And I love the fact that you track down uh, people that are totally um, instrumental in like creating Star Wars, but not always people that we know and, you know, not always people that we would think to kind of consider and, and, and give credit to. So uh, you have to subscribe if you haven't done it yet. Um, absolutely essential listening. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a must do. Ryan, do you have the the info for us on uh comics or marvel unlimited and uh the clone wars adventures yeah got some good news and some bad news <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> all right the bad news uh the clone wars adventures not on marvel unlimited bullshit that's yeah. bad news bummer um good news uh republic is so if you nice. want a whole Dirge. lot of dirge okay. you can get it there yeah all right cool cool uh, okay. As for us, uh, you can find all the content we do at blockaderunnerpodcast.com. Uh, if you want to reach out to the show, we are at blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com, or you can message us on Twitter at uh, blockade run. Ryan, you're on Twitter at via Malay, V A Y A M A L A Y. And Brandon, one more time, the, the Twitter handle for your show. Talking Bay 94. It was not taken somehow. Uh, yeah, Talking Bay 94. <laughs> and then if you want to even get more, BS for me, actually, Brandon is my personal account where I tweet most about Lord of the Rings, I think, over there. So, All right. Very good. Uh, so thank you so much again for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Um, we'll be back soon with another episode of the Blockade Runner podcast. We are all the Republic. 